Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's Safety and Health webcast, Seeing is Believing, Real-World Lessons in FR Clothing, sponsored by Tyndale. This is Alan Ferguson, Associate Editor at Safety and Health Magazine, and I am moderating today's session. Thank you all for joining us. We're going to start the presentation in a couple minutes, but first I want to go over some preliminary items. The views of today's speaker and organization are their own and do not necessarily reflect those in the National Safety Council or Safety and Health Magazine. Any mention of a commercial enterprise, product, or publication does not mean the council or magazine endorses those items. At the end of today's webcast, we will conduct a question and answer session. To ask a question, simply type it in the text box in the lower left-hand corner of your screen and click the button for Submit Question. Feel free to ask your question at any time during this presentation. You don't have to wait for the Q&A to begin. We'll try to answer as many questions as possible, but because of the large number of participants today, we might not get to every question. Any unanswered questions will be forwarded to today's speaker. If you'd like to download slides, click on the Resources button in the, on the lower left, hand, or lower left side of your screen. At the end of the webcast, you'll be asked to complete a brief evaluation survey, and I will let you know more about that after this presentation. This webcast is archived, so you can access it after today's live event. View this webcast and all of our past webcasts. Go to safetyandhealthmagazine.com slash events. Finally, if you need basic troubleshooting information, click the Help button located on your screen. With that, let's go ahead and get started. Our speaker today is Scott Margolin, Vice President of Technical for Tyndale. Scott has more than 30 years of experience in arc-rated and FR clothing and served for six years as a firefighter. He has shared his research and knowledge on flash fire, arc flash, combustible dust, and other worker safety topics around the world, giving more than 1,000 presentations. Scott has also written dozens of technical articles and white papers and led a number of webinars. He has served as a subject matter expert for OSHA, the National Fire Protection Association, and other organizations on a wide breadth of FR, PPE, and thermal hazards. Scott, whenever you're ready, go ahead and take it away. Thank you. Uh, good morning and good afternoon, everyone. All that intro does is make me feel old with all that stuff behind me. Uh, what we're going to try and do this afternoon is a little bit different uh, in that given the, the uh, platform we have here, rather than having a little bit of video here and a little bit there, we've had to bundle it into three chunks. So we'll do a little bit of talking, show a whole lot of video, a couple of minutes at a time, and then call back to the video that you've seen later in the presentation when those subjects come up using screen grabs from that video. Hopefully that all makes sense. This is a, a new way to take it. So what does flame-resistant and arc-rated clothing, and by the way, that's what the AR in that slide means. What is this stuff supposed to do? Everybody understands, or almost everybody understands, the first goal, which is to save your life by not igniting and continuing to burn, right? I mean, that's, that's the main goal. Let's not die because we're wearing fuel. So at the end of the day, why do we need arc-rated and flame-resistant clothing? Please don't wear fuel. Flammable clothing is fuel. And a brief directional thermal event, arc flash, flash fire, combustible dust deflagration, it's over rapidly. But if your clothing ignites, your thermal issue isn't over rapidly. But the second thing this stuff is supposed to do is not necessarily quite as well known. And this is where 2112 testing and arc ratings and things come in. In addition to not igniting and continuing to burn, ideally, it would insulate you from the hazard you have so that you're not burned at all through it. Right? So it's not just supposed to not ignite and continue to burn and save your life. It's also supposed to insulate you against the thermal hazard so that you're not injured at all through it, which a little bit of an oversimplification is pretty much what an arc rating is about. So there are two goals for the clothing. And we're going to take a look at a significant video here. Arc flash, though. The whole first video will be arc flash related. We'll be looking at lots of, of cat 2 arc flashes and some cat 1 and some cat 2 and real system energies and real with super high-speed slow-motion HD cameras so you can see dramatic projection of molten metal. That molten metal hitting the back wall there and starbursts, that ball's, ball's 30 feet from the disconnect. Molten metal is 1,906 degrees Fahrenheit. That's what it takes to melt copper. Your skin burns at 140, and your clothing ignites at 425 if it's flammable. So you can see the, the danger here. So good operating clothing, no fire. Flammable clothing, you're wearing This is not rocket science, folks, is it? You know, let's see them at the In one case, not only are you not on fire, but the clothing's insulated you from the hazard. It's not predicted to get a second-degree burn through it. And in the other case, you're a fireball. And you'll notice that that fire is from the knees up. What about inherent versus treated? When people look at clothing, they often will think that they should specify one over the other. These are both arc-rated uh, clothing, but one fabric is inherent and the other is treated. 
So part of the point of the video here is to show you that a lot of the stuff that's done in sales and marketing in this business isn't necessarily what you're being led to believe. There's a close-up of the inherent, and it doesn't have a hole in it. It's not on fire. There's a close-up of the treated. Same thing. They both char instead of burning. What about ATTV and EBT? ATTV and EBT is another area where you are sometimes misled into believing there's a significant difference. But as you can see here, they both perform the same. Same thing again in slow motion. Both fabrics do what they're supposed to do. They don't ignite. They don't have uh, massive shrinkage. You don't get burned through them. And despite some of the sales and marketing that's out there, you can see they perform equally well. We'll come back to all of this stuff later. What about after a whole bunch of laundries? Isn't that treated stuff wash out? And again, we'll cover it again in a little bit. But let's take a look in an arc at something that's been laundered 100 times. So nearing the end of its service life, not based on launderings, but based on what kind of shape it's in color-wise. Super slow motion. You can see it's a massive arc. It wraps all the way around the garment. Metal going everywhere, but it doesn't ignite. It doesn't shrink. It doesn't have you know, massive holes in it. It doesn't melt. It's done its job, even though it's four-plus years old, 100 industrial laundries. So, again, the whole inherent treated thing, which we'll come back to. What about logos and emblems? We get questions all the time. Can you use non-flame-resistant logos and emblems in, in arc flash and flash fire? And if so, what happens? So you see an arc on your left and a non-flame-resistant logos. So it's massive amounts, given that it's a giant uh, emblem layer. It's not a little chest emblem, right? Massive amounts of non-flame-resistant logo, and it's fine. So the standards have specific amounts that you can have, but the truth is that the, that aside, the stuff does what it's supposed to do. Okay, so that's one video. Let's talk about some of the details here, flame-resistant versus arc-rated. FR, we probably are all familiar with the term. AR may confuse some people. In the last four or five years, the term arc-rated has been out there a lot. And the question we get a lot is, I'm in my arc-rated gear, but I'm going to work at a site where they require flame-resistant clothing. Let's say it's inside the sensitive chemical facility or refinery. Is, can, can I wear my arc-rated clothing? Yes, all arc-rated clothing is flame-resistant. It has to be flame-resistant just to get in the arc-rating test. However, not all flame-resistant fabrics have been arc-rated. So all arc-rated gear is FR but not all FR gear is AR, if that makes any sense. There are people, for instance, for welders, it's flame resistant, but why would they submit it for operating? It's not intended for that end use. So that's the difference between FR and AR. So why do we need this stuff? I, I, I touched on it earlier, I'll come back to it. This stuff is the difference between life and death in the same way that a seat belt is. Uh, you don't plan to be in an accident anymore, you plan to be in an arc or a flash fire, but when you are, it's the last line of defense between you and fatal or catastrophic injury, because the fatalities aren't being caused by the arc flash or the flash fire. Those are brief, they're directional thermal events, and, and in most cases, they're not going to do significant damage to you, even if you're naked enough to kill you. What is doing the damage is igniting flammable clothing. And now, instead of being in a fraction of a second arc flash that covers half your body at the most, or a two-second flash fire that covers half your body at the most, if your clothing is on fire, your clothing covers about 88% of your body, and the part of your body it doesn't cover is typically your head and where's heat go. And now instead of it being a fraction of a second or a second or two, your clothing is on fire for 10, 15, 20 seconds, sometimes longer. So the injuries that result, not just to the skin but also to the lungs, are catastrophic relative to what they would have been if you weren't wearing any clothing or obviously if you were wearing arc-rated and flame-resistant clothing. So if you'll bear with me for a minute or two, why are we going to discuss medicine? Well, the existence of the FR business, every fiber, every fabric, every garment, every standard, including the ASTM standards around uh, flash fire mannequins and, and arc ratings, come down to a fact that we'll get to on this slide. So what are we looking to avoid? We're looking to avoid second-degree burn and worse. First degree is sunburn. It hurts, but it heals. Second degree is blisters. So that, that the skin will regrow. You typically don't need medical intervention if it's small enough. Uh, most of us have had a blister. Third degree burn is full thickness, skin death. It won't grow back at that location. You need grafting, which is extraordinarily painful, extraordinarily expensive, and for many people, psychologically devastating. So I think we can agree that third degree burn is clearly much worse than second degree. But what predicts whether you live or die in an arc flash or a flash fire burn, unfortunately, in that first day or two or three or even week or two or three, there are two primary things the surgeon has in mind. The age of the victim, the older you are, the less likely you are to survive the same injury, and 
the TBSA, or total body surface area, that receives second or third degree burns. Well, wait a minute. Second or third? How can they be the same for predicting fatality if they're clearly very different injuries, as we just looked at, right? What does second and third degree burn have in common that makes them the same for predicting fatality in those first few days or weeks in a hospital? The answer to that question is what drives the entire existence of the FR fiber fabric and garment business and essentially every standard written about it, arc ratings and flash fire ratings included. So what does second and third degree burn have in common that makes them the same for predicting fatality? And the answer is they both break the skin. It's that simple, folks. Second and third degree both break the skin. And when you have the skin broken open, you have an infection path, right? Where do they take you? They put you in an ambulance or a helicopter, and they rush you off to a hospital where there are more infectious agents than anywhere on earth, including all the antibiotic-resistant ones. Good luck. Second and third degree burn are the same for predicting fatality because they both break the skin. The more skin that's broken open, the more infection path you have, and the longer you'll be in the hospital around the bugs. So the name of the game here is to minimize or eliminate second-degree burn, and worse. That's what underpins all of this. So at the end of the day, that's why we don't want the clothing to ignite. That's why we have an ARC rating that, let's say it's an 8.7-calorie shirt. We don't, you're not going to get a second-degree burn below 8.7 calories. That's the point, oversimplified, of an ARC rating. So what's the bottom line of the first section here and why we need ARC rated enough our apparel? Accidents happen, folks. I don't care how good your behavioral safety is, the individual worker is, the company's policies are, the equipment, it can be the greatest stuff in the world. Accidents happen, things age, things fail, people make mistakes. The second fact is that flammable clothing is fuel. All of it, 100% cotton included, is fuel and will dramatically worsen the injury when it ignites. The other variable here is age. I mentioned it and I didn't explain myself and I apologize. The older you are, the less likely you are to survive the same body burn level because as we age, we heal more slowly, which anyone who's tried to participate in sports over the age of 40 knows painfully. What does that mean in a burn, though? Well, if you heal more slowly, you're in the hospital around those bugs longer, right? But you can't do anything about your age. So of the two variables, age and body burn percentage, the only variable you can affect is your body burn percentage. How do you do that? Stop wearing flammable clothing. It is not rocket science. Please stop wearing fuel. And the second thing you can do is to make sure that the clothing you are wearing, if it's arc-rated or flame-resistant, meets the thermal needs of the hazard you've got. What do I mean by that? Well, you wouldn't wear a windbreaker into a blizzard, right? If it's 50 degrees when you leave the house tomorrow morning, you put on a light jacket. If it's 5 degrees, you put on a heavy jacket. It's the same concept. This, again, is not rocket science. So I like to keep things real, and I apologize in advance if this is uh, a problem to look at, but... The lab is nice. What happens when your shirt ignites and it burns off your body? What does 60% third-degree burn look like? This is real. The electrician on the left is uh, wearing a cotton shirt because he thought cotton was protective. The arc hit him in the back. He's hanging from the fall protection harness trying to put the fire out. The gentleman on the right took his shirt off because as soon as they were out of sight of supervision, since he didn't think that heavy 100% cotton was comfortable, he removed it. Uh, he caused the arc. It hit the other gentleman in the back. By the time they got him upright in the bucket and down, the only part of his shirt that hadn't burned off his body was his right arm from the elbow to the cuff. You can see it's on fire there, but, but not aggressively moving. So what does it look like? Unfortunately, this is what that looks like. This is third-degree burn waste up. If you know uh, much about burns, you'll know that third-degree burn, there's something they call the golden hour. It doesn't necessarily hurt at first because your system is overwhelmed. So he had time to phone his wife and say, meet me at the hospital and apologize to his coworkers. And those were essentially the last words he ever spoke because he was intubated and put into a chemical and he worked at the burn center and he lived, I believe, eight days. This is real. It happens all the time. It does not need to. You are literally better off naked than you are wearing fuel if you're going to insist on working energized. So how do we prevent that moving forward? Arc ratings are what tell us how good the stuff is at preventing those second-degree burns through the fabric. There's two, two ways to get an arc rating. You may or may not be aware, and without boring you with too much science, there's some sales and marketing done around this, as we talked about earlier. There's ATPV, arc thermal performance value, and EVT, 
or energy to break open threshold. A garment may just say arc rating, cat two, eight cows, whatever it is. Or it may specify the type of arc rating. There are two types. Is there a difference? Yes and no. If you read those words, they're fancy scientific words. They're a way of measuring insulation. You get one number, typically the higher the better. That's the arc rating for the shirt. Let's say nine calories. And what that nine calories means is you don't expect to receive a second degree burn through that garment at lower energies than nine calories. Whether or not that garment is an ATPV or an EBT, so what's the difference between them? Boring science, this is a picture of the apparatus, and we got a late start, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go buy that that we use. And I'll come back to ATPV and EBT. This is a picture of a single arc rating report. You do three arcs, I'm sorry, you do seven arcs with three pieces of fabric exposed to each arc, gives you 21 pieces of data. Those 21 red, uh, data points are represented by red dots on this graph. It's kind of a pass-fail deal. If the red dots are on the bottom, there was no second-degree burn or hole. If those red dots are at the top, there was a second-degree burn or hole. So there, you want dots on the bottom. And if you look at that graph, you'll see that above 12 and a half calories, there's never a second-degree burn. All the dots are on the top axis. If you look at the top axis, below 10 calories on your left, there's no dots. They're on the bottom. So what's that tell you? Above 12 and change, you always got a second-degree burn or a hole. And below 12, you never did. It's a good test. The computer averages that data with the black line. If you look at your left axis, 50% probability. You come to the black line. You drop down to the bottom axis, 12.4 calories. That becomes your arc rating for that fabric and everything ever made from it. So it's a good test. It tells you how much energy that fabric can block before you're going to get a hole in it or a burn through it, neither one of which is good. Let's bring it back to ATPV and EBT. You saw this in the video a moment ago. There's the garments before the arc. There's the garments in the arc. There's the garments after the arc. What's the difference? The garment on the left, the ATPV, you got burned through the fabric, but you didn't get a hole in the fabric. The one on the right, the EBT, you got a little hole in the fabric before you got a burn through it. Well, we don't want to burn for obvious reasons, and we don't want a hole for obvious reasons. So they fail the same test in different ways. But that's the only difference. Both. So, so what is the, the similarities and the differences all racked up here? Both ATPV and EBT fabrics protect you from burn injury through that fabric below the arc rating of the garment. Neither one of them protects you above the arc rating of the garment. So, so far, there's no difference. ATPV fabrics allow a burn through them before they allow a hole in them. EBT fabrics allow a hole in them before they allow a burn through them. So that's the difference. Neither protects you below the, above the arc rating. Both protect you below it. The difference is how they fail, either a burn through it or a hole in it. And so a simple way to look at it would be EBT fabrics are more protective than they are strong, and ATBB fabrics are stronger than they are protective. But either way, below the arc rating of the garment, you're good, equally protective. So... Moving on to flash fire, different hazard entirely, but most of us have, uh, uh, you know, have both of these hazards whether we realize it or not. What's a flash fire versus a fire? A fire is fuel unlimited in a sense. Your, your, a building ignites or a forest ignites. A flash fire is fuel limited. It's an unplanned accidental exposure to a brief directional event if you have a gas leak, if you have combustible dust in the air, whatever it happens to be, and it ignites and the flame front moves rapidly through a diffuse fuel, by definition, you will have a very brief event. So let's look at a longer video this time with a bunch of flash fire hazards. A lot of this stuff, by the way, this is the Texas A&M Brayton Firefield at Disneyland for guys like me. We intentionally release massive amounts of propane outdoors in all kinds of conditions. We put mannequins in harm's way, and we see what happens. It's tremendous. So here you have propane. It's going to ignite on your left. It's going to flash back to your right. And you see that the total duration was two seconds to traverse that 60 feet. Uh, in slow motion, you'll see it again. So it may have taken two seconds for that flash fire to move, but any single place you're standing, a worker might be standing in it, it doesn't even last that long, does it? So this is why secondary protective apparel, single layer clothing, can protect us against these hazards. What about the official test, which is called the mannequin test by a lot of folks? Pardon that sound there. The mannequin's got at least 100 thermocouples to measure heat transfer through the fabric. There are little circles there on the mannequin or the thermocouples. And the torches surround that mannequin. It's completely engulfed in a fire for three seconds. So here's pictures. Would, who would you rather be? This is not complicated. You passed my test today. Maybe you can tell me which one's flame resistant. Anybody think Stop, Drop, and Hold would put that out, by the way? 
it's too aggressive. The second degree burn occurs in less than a second. So there's high quality FR clothing and that test and it goes just fine. But what about in the real world? So that fire was going pretty quickly on that mannequin. You can see in slow motion the result. You can see the propane being disappeared, if you will, by the fire. The fire is sort of hard to see, but you can tell by the fuel going away. And then a column of fire on top of it being blown down onto the mannequin. And because it's good quality stuff, despite the double hit, it's done what it's supposed to do. This stuff works, even in ridiculously severe circumstances. Side by side, FR is not FR. You can clearly see what happens with flame resistant versus flammable clothing. Not a good situation. This is a better look at, at it, a little bit slower. Uh, the interest of time in an hour-long video, we're showing you lots of little clips, but we'll let this one run. So here comes the propane, shoulder to shoulder in, in this video, so they're in the same hazard. There's your fire, and the mannequin on the left, on your left, is fine, the mannequin on your right, well, now we've seen a reverse view, so we'll switch that, but as soon as the fire is off it, you can see that one mannequin is completely engulfed in flames and the other is not. This is a GoPro in the visor, behind the visor, which is pretty cool. We run a lot of GoPros that way. But anyway, not rocket science, you'd rather be. It doesn't take much energy at all to ignite flammable clothing, whether it's 100% cotton or not, in these hazards. So same thing as we did in ours. What about an art versus treated? Does that matter? Well, there's inherent and treated in the exact same exposures to the extent that when you do it outdoors like this, you get the same energy uh, two times in a row. Both of them are completely engulfed. The treated arguably takes a little bit of a worse hit there, and both of them perform exactly as specified. So once again, we'll come back to this, but these products, when they're engineered properly, perform the same. As we looked at earlier, what about logos? You know, you saw it in Arc Flash. What about in Flash Fire? So the entire back of this garment is covered with flammable heat transfers. Those heat transfers are flammable by themselves, but once you adhere them to a garment, they tend to take on the qualities of the fabric of the garment's made from, and they not out burn, become tacky or stick. I know it's counterintuitive, but it's true, and we like to, again, not just show it in the lab, but show it for real. This one is super alarming to me. This one makes me angry. You gotta be really careful where you get this stuff. People have, people wanna trust third parties like UL. UL's had counterfeit. Now, I'm not just claiming UL compliance they didn't earn, but actually counterfeiting the label. This is taken right off of Amazon. You would have looked at the web page and you would have thought it was good stuff. It was the right product. It had the right brand name. And it wasn't. The package comes in and the package is from someplace overseas. And this is not a case of bad FR where they didn't engineer the FR properly. This is a case of a $4 flammable cotton t-shirt being fraudulently misrepresented as FR right on down to the pad print on the chest. The base layer Cat 1 FR being fraudulently misrepresented as flammable. Again, folks, not full quality FR where they didn't do the engineering right, and so you have a problem, 10 laundries in or something. Flammable clothing being fraudulently misrepresented as FR. Be careful where you buy this stuff and from whom you get it. So what about flash fire versus fire? We talked a little bit about this. Fuel, fuel limited versus fuel fed. If you have a long duration fire, if you have an entrapment or a situation where it's a flash but you're stuck next to the blowing gas, at some point the secondary protective apparel is not enough. Independent of what it'll do for your skin, you've got questions about respiratory protection or your face or your hands, which may not otherwise be covered by these products and, and the 2112 standard, right? We talked about it being a moving flame front. This is a good illustration of exactly that. If you look to the back left of this photo, You'll see a little bit of fire. That's the torch that's lit. So the gas drifted away from the mannequin downwind. That fire ignited it. Now there's a big empty space. So you have a, a space where there's no fire, a space where there is fire, and a space where there's white propane. Showing you that the flame front is moving from the point of ignition at the back left toward the mannequin at the front. And that by the time the fire, the flame front, is midway through that propane cloud, it hasn't ignited in the front yet because it hasn't gotten there. But it's out at the back. There's no fire at your back left because it's used up all the fuel. So it's a nice visual representation that these things are rapidly moving flame fronts. Now you can see on your left here the lab test, which is complete engulfment versus real world, which is directional. And that's why we spend the money and the time to go down to Teaks, besides the fact that it's super fun to go to Brighton Firefield and create giant fires outdoors. But our goal there. The lab is great. The lab does exactly what it's supposed to do. It's trying to give you a nice, solid feel 
for whether this stuff is any good and whether that stuff's better than this stuff and whether that garment design is better than this garment design. But it's a lab. And in real life, things are different. And we're a big believer here at Tyndale. I personally and the Tyndale company are, are big, big believers in let's get it outside the lab when we can and go see what it does in real life and fire and arc. What can we learn? What can we teach? How can we improve things? It's absolutely vital in our view. So we saw this view earlier as well. Non-FR in the lab on your upper portion. You see lab video of non-FR versus FR. On your lower right, that's what we do at, at Brayton Firefield. Same kind of thing, right? You have a fire on the flammable garment and no fire on the FR garment, which is hopefully what you expect. Inherent and treated. Uh, we looked at that in arc flash. We'll look at it again in flash fire. So if I was to, if we were in a classroom together, I frequently would we have time. We'll say, well, what does inherent mean? There are people who will specify inherent. Uh, and that comes from 15, 30 years ago, however long, when it was consequential. But I would tell you that since 1987, these terms have ceased to have any significant meaning, uh, depending on how you want to view the fact set. So what does inherent mean to people? It doesn't wash out. You don't have to count the launderings. The FR is good for the life of the garment. What about treated? All right, how does treated differ? Treated to a lot of people means it's chemically dependent. You know, it's not inherent. It's not by its very nature FR. Somebody's applied a flame retardant chemical which means it might wash out or it does wash out or i got to worry about it washing out. Some people think it's a surface treatment. Maybe we've just taken a paintbrush or a spray can and, and put it on something that burns. And therefore, you have to count launderings. So facts are facts, and you're entitled to your opinion about that fact set, of course, and people are entitled to different opinions about the same fact set. But the fact is, and this is inherent and treated in arc flash and inherent and treated in flash fire, right? They look the same. They perform the same. The truth about it is that all arc-rated and flame-resistant fibers and fabrics in common use in our country today are engineered by people using chemistry. In that sense, they're all chemically dependent. There's one naturally occurring, I mean, one of the definitions of inherent is by its very nature, right? There's one naturally occurring FR fiber most people have ever heard of, and that's asbestos. If you'd like to wear that, uh, you know, we're not going to sell that to you. But uh, all, all kidding aside, Everything you're familiar with, other than asbestos and, and fiberglass, all the FR fibers and fabrics that we use currently in this country today are engineered by human beings using chemistry. That's a fact. The opinion, I would argue, that what matters to the end user who's wearing it or the purchasing people who are uh, specifying and purchasing or buying it, it isn't how the engineering's done that matters, is it? It's how the engineering's done, right? So that whether you get that garment out of your drawer or your closet six days later, six weeks later, six months later, six years later, it is still flame resistant. That's what matters, not necessarily how that engineering is accomplished. And the truth is that all of the quality fabrics made by proven manufacturers are FR for the life of the garment. There are companies out there who will sell you anything that complies or anything that you ask for. There are companies out there that won't. And, uh, all the good stuff, and it's not all good stuff, but all the good stuff is FR for the life of the garment, guaranteed, including a number of treated vendors, three of which are United States-based and two of which are not. That's new in the last several years, but there are at least five quality vendors out there of treated products that are good for the life of the garment. So turning the page for the last uh, quarter or a third of our time here together, we've looked at why we need FR, what arc ratings are, and what flash fire is, and a lot of the, the basic issues. What about the standards, and is compliance to those standards the same thing as protection to your people? Again, back to fact, you're entitled to your own opinion about that fact set. I would argue, as you can see from this slide, that in some cases, maybe in many cases, protection and compliance are not the same thing. What do I mean by that? In flash fire, this is a picture of two garments, both of which comply to the NFPA 2112 standard but they look very different after the exposure. You saw this briefly in the video, and if you download this all, you'll see it again. One garment looks almost exactly as it did before the exposure. The other garment has shrunken up, exposing skin or flammable socks. It's shrunken in, meaning do you really think you can get that thing off using the zipper and the closures, or do you think it's going to have to be cut off you? Uh, and the massive discoloration as well suggests something else was going on there. But, hey, they both comply. Here's the body burn data. The visuals are nice, but the data tells the story. One of them has no burn through the coverall. The other has, I believe, 34%. My eyes aren't good enough to read that right now. But what else do you notice about where the burn is on the right-hand side? That yellow is second-degree burn. 
the mannequin is required by this standard to wear a 100% cotton t-shirt and briefs. In my opinion, it shouldn't be, but it is. What do you notice now about that burn, uh, the yellow burn, where it isn't burned on your right-hand mannequin there? Doesn't that look an awful lot like the t-shirt and briefs did a lot of that insulating and that where there was a single layer of that fabric, it didn't do so well? Absolutely true, but they both comply. Both of those comply. You comply to 2112 with 50% body burn or less. I'll say that again, 50% body burn or less, meaning you can comply with 49, 40, 39, 30, 20, whatever, all the way on down. You know, I would argue you can pass a test with a 61B minus or a 99A plus. Who are you going to hire as an engineer to build a bridge you got to drive over every day? I don't just want something that passes. I want something that's excellent, much less when my life is on the line. So the standard is a good standard, does exactly what it's supposed to do, but it is not a guarantee of perfection. So the 2112 and 13, CGSB 15520s, the Canadian version, they're correct when they say flash fires last three seconds or less because they're fuel limited and there's a rapidly moving flame front. We saw that. There's marketing that suggests otherwise. I would suggest to you, though, that standards are a minimum bar. They are not an ultimate guarantee of anything. What do I mean by that? Standards are not supposed to exclude products. Standards are not supposed to say this is perfect and the rest of that stuff is junk. Standards are a little bit like the NFL draft, and I apologize if this is a chauvinistic example, but it's the best one I can think of. How happy would you be if your team, whoever your NFL team is, plays this Sunday with whoever the heck they drafted the last five years? That's ridiculous, right? You, you would be annoyed at that idea. Why? Because half the people that they draft don't make the team. And half the people that make the team will never get a starting position, much less become a superstar. So what is the NFL draft to, to my Philadelphia Eagles or your team? The draft is a minimum bar below which you literally can't get in the game, but it's not where your team's homework stops with just anybody they drafted. It's where it starts. Okay, these all, these all made the minimum cut. Now i got to do my homework to see who the players and the stars are. It's the same thing in the standards in this business, in my opinion. The minimum bars below which you can't get in the game, but they don't guarantee anything. They're where your homework should start, and I apologize, but that's not what you want to hear. I know you're busy, and you've got a lot of stuff, fall protection, hearing protection, and people backing trucks into things and whatever else. And it's very tempting when you have a, a minimum compliance bar to clear that you check it off and you move to the next hazard. There are significant differences you'll miss if you do that. There's a huge disparity among compliant products. As you just saw, you can comply with 34% body burn or none or 44. There's a big, big difference. And I would urge you as a result to say when somebody says, yes, this product complies with 2112, complies with what? 10% body burn? 20? 30? It matters. It's consequential. Another dirty little secret of the business uh, where I would uh, you know, argue that compliance is not enough, ASTM F1959, standard you see at the top left of your screen, is the operating standard. I'm not knocking it. I chair that standard. <laughs> I can't say strongly enough since this is being recorded. It's a terrific standard. But you're entitled to know what is behind that standard. How many people know how many times the fabric is washed before it gets an arc rating? When you go to, to do stuff, all right, I need cat two, eight cows, or I need cat four, 40 cows, or whatever you need, most people stop there. They assume if it's third-party laboratory, like this all is, and it's eight cows or cat two or 12 cows, whatever it is you want, that they're all the same after that, plus or minus a few bucks and what color and how comfortable. That's just not true. How many times is something laundered before it gets the ARC rating? The answer, folks, is three. Now what do you think of ARC ratings as a guarantee of anything? This standard does a great job of telling you how good this fabric is new, and it tells you nothing, nothing about how durable that flame resistance is to laundering. Are you going to wash your garments four or five times? If you're not, I don't want to work next to you next month. But if you do, what's an ARC rating tell you now? So just because it's eight cows, cat two, are they all the same? Mm, I would say not. 1506 is another ASTM standard, which basically oversimplifying says, how to build a good garment when you start with a good fabric. And it's got a different wash number. The wash number there is 25. Are we cool with that, folks? If you wear that garment during the week, you launder it on the weekends, and then you wear that garment again next week, let's say you got five sets, and that's your routine, how long does 25 laundries get you? It gets you six months. 
These garments are designed to last three, four, five years, and you are now out of ArcFlash FR durability standards on planet Earth at 25 laundering six months. Is that okay with you guys? If it's eight calories, are all eight calories the same? Are all Cat 2 garments the same? I would say not. You're obviously entitled to a different opinion. What about Flash Fire? 2112 has got a different laundering standard. Let's take a look at it. Well, 100, oh gosh, that's probably fine, right? If it was fine, why would I be dragging five minutes of your life through this slide? 2112 is 100 launderings. I have three asterisks. Someday somebody will tell me the plural of asterisks. I still don't know, but I have three stars next to it for a reason. What do those three stars mean? First question I would ask you is, is 100 flower? If your FR guarantee is tied to this standard, and many of them are, what happens if you launder it 101 times? Where's your, where's your guarantee? And oh, by the way, how are you ever going to prove how many times it was laundered? That's number one. Number two, it's a self-submitted sample. Think about that for a minute. Who is going to submit a sample for testing that they don't know will pass? So you probably wouldn't be surprised to know that pretty much it all does. The third asterisk is because this is done, the laundering is done, under laboratory conditions by people in lab coats with perfect water chemistry and perfect laundry loads and perfect temperature and perfect detergent loads, which I would suggest politely is not <laughs> how anybody in this country launders their stuff. Hard water can be a problem for some FR fabrics, and this test uses softened water. I am not knocking the standards. The standards are, do exactly what they're designed to do and create minimum bars. Minimum, folks, not guarantees, not perfection, not maximum, minimum bars. And nobody ever shares this data. I think you're entitled to it. I think it helps you make good decisions. So I choose to share it with you so that you're, you're fully informed when you make decisions. Obviously, you draw your own conclusions about all that. But as you can see, simply saying a little check mark. Is this 2112 compliant? Yes. Okay, so what? Yes, at what body burn percentage? Here's my arc rating. Are all CAT 2s the same? No, and now you know why. Some stuff doesn't last. The FR doesn't last. And it's gotten even worse recently. So there was always everything you've just looked at since the standards have existed the last 20 years or so. But NFPS 70E, it may not apply to you, but the industrial electrician market in the United States is significantly larger than the other markets combined, oil and gas, utilities, molten metal. And so almost everyone builds their garments to be compliant for that market, for the 70E market, whether or not you, know, you personally buy it. You should be aware that recently in their last revision, 70E removed what's called all mandatory references to third-party standards. I'll say that again. They removed all mandatory references to third-party standards. They had some sort of uh, uh, stylistic reasons for doing that, but the ARC rating standard is ASTM, not NFPA. The 1506 standard that we just looked at is ASTM, not NFPA. Those are no longer required past 70E. So in theory, it is entirely possible now for anybody to bring you anything and make any claim they want. I self-certify that this fabric I made in my garage is cool. I'm, I'm overstating a little to try and be funny, but it's a subject that makes me a little bit uh, upset because it was already sort of uh, a lot of potential out there for bad stuff to happen, as you saw with the counterfeit and the UL counterfeiting and so forth. But now it's literally possible because the mandatory references have been removed. So be careful. So as I said twice during this thing, I like to keep it real. Uh, we talked about all this stuff. You know, is it consequential in the real world or am I just trying to take an hour of your time and get you some CEUs or something? So this is a picture of a compliant fabric that uh, I don't know where the video went to. Hopefully it's popping up here. But this fabric is compliant to all the standards we just discussed. After 17 launderings, the people who owned it noticed it smelled funny, so they sent it off for testing. Does that look flame-resistant to you? It doesn't look flame-resistant to me. But hey, folks, it was compliant to all the appropriate tests. The problem was, once they were making that product under commercial pressure, time pressure, profit pressure, in a, in a manufacturing facility and not in a lab, what they were producing commercially bore no resemblance to what they submitted for testing. It happens too often. This is another photograph from a different scenario. The pants are the good stuff. The shirt is not. Also only a few launderings in. Does that look flame resistant to you? It wasn't anymore. Only a few launderings, despite posting 2112 at 100 launderings for the reasons I just outlined a moment ago. This one is really upsetting. 
Google it later or download the slide. Ergon is a large uh, utility in Queensland, Australia. They specified the good stuff at the last minute. The safety director uh, done that. The purchasing folks got involved in the save what amounted to a couple of bucks per garment and you know, run the math on that times something that lasts a couple of years. Bought some other stuff. And if you read the article carefully, you'll see that they put 143 people in the hospital after spending $3.5 million on these garments. The fabric itself was toxic. This stuff is designed to prevent blisters. The fabric you're looking at now caused blisters, chemical burns, not thermal, but there was no standard for that at the time. Write this one down. I didn't put it in the slides, and I should have. Okeotex 100, O-K-E-O hyphen T-E-X 100. I would, if I were you, be requiring anything I buy moving forward comply with that standard. It'll avoid these problems. But this, that standard did not exist, and it's not an American standard, by the way. Here's another form of failure that's not talked about a lot. That's no joke. That's massive shrinkage. Why is the cheap stuff cheap? You know, in your personal life, when you walk into a certain store and you see a shirt you, you, know, you would expect would cost you, let's say, 25 bucks for a good T-shirt, and that one's nine or eight, you know what's going to happen. You're going to be giving it to your, uh, to your children. Or if you're a guy, you're going to be giving it to your wife because it's going to shrink, and five or ten laundries in it doesn't fit you. Why does that happen? Well, it's expensive and time-consuming to pre-shrink fabric, and so a lot of people either can't or won't. But even if you can, you put a 10,000-yard roll in one end of the machine, you compact it and compact it and compact it, pre-shrink, pre-shrink, pre-shrink. What comes out the other end of the machine before you sell it to a company like Tyndale is about 9,000 yards of fabric. So what have you just done to about 10% of your inventory? Poof, gone. But if they don't pay for it on the fabric level, you will on the garment level, and now you're really out of chunk of change. So that's another form of failure. And then lastly, we, we looked at this earlier. People have counterfeited not just claimed UL compliance they didn't earn, but faked the labels. They've sewn in labels that UL didn't provide them. People have gone on Amazon and taken screen grabs from big, major, American, reputable FRC companies. It's not a fake screen. They've taken a screen grab. And when you buy it from that, from that company you think you're buying it from, the order actually goes someplace, I shouldn't say overseas, but in this case, you can see where it came from. And what you end up getting sold is not at all what you thought you were buying or from whom you thought you were buying it. So at the end of all this section on compliance versus protection, what do the standards tell us we've looked at? What don't they tell us? Well, what do you really care about? Besides price and, and, and compliance, you care about whether the flame resistance is durable for the life of the garment or not. And the standards don't tell us, I think you'd agree, remotely enough about that. They don't tell you much about the degree of protection in flash fire other than that you won't die because the standard stops at 50%. They don't tell you whether it shrinks in flame or arc. They don't tell you whether it shrinks in laundry. They don't tell you whether it's potentially toxic to wear against your skin. And they certainly don't tell you much about how comfortable or stylish it is. In other words, whether your folks will wear it and wear it properly and wear it all the time. So at the end of the day, what the standards don't tell us is arguably most of what you really care about moving forward other than check the box, comply with the law, let's move on to fall protection. I would argue, those are facts, my opinion on the fact set, I would argue it's really important to look beyond the standards because there are so many gray areas and they're not guarantees. Be really careful to specify proven products as a result. If there's no standard you will rely on as an absolute guarantee, how do you know what to trust? Well, there's stuff that's been out there 10, 15, 20 years that we know works because tens of millions of people have been wearing it in that time frame with good success. They bought it. They liked it. They bought it again. They liked it. They bought it a third time. All right, I start to believe the marketplace more than the laboratory. Be careful there. Specify proven products. Write a good spec. Enforce that spec. Enforce it. Who knows what's happening two or three years later? Well, your attention is somewhere else. What might be being put in your program? Write a tight spec and monitor that spec. The service providers are more important than ever. It, it used to be, if you've been in this business 20 years or more, there were two choices you had. I won't mention the brand names, but we all know what they are. It was this fabric or that fabric, and you got it from this industrial laundry or that industrial laundry or one of the two or three main garment manufacturers. It was a simple set of math. It isn't anymore. If you've been to any of the big shows lately, there are dozens of fibers and fabrics and there are probably close to 100 different booths with different brands now. How are you supposed to keep up with that? And I do this full-time. I do this more than full-time. It's my whole job. And I can't keep up 
and I've been doing it 30 years. How are you guys supposed to? Your core job is, you know, selling electricity or selling good contracting or selling oil and gas or whatever it is. Your core job is not managing an FR clothing program or understanding the good stuff from the junk or the sales and marketing from the truth. How are you supposed to keep up in this world? So it's more important than ever to carefully find somebody in this business who you trust and who you know has your people's best interest at heart. People over profit. No, nobody's in business for charity, but there's a higher fealty, a higher loyalty, or there sure as it should be to your people, and the rest of the business considerations should be secondary, in my opinion. And then, you know, observe the program, enforce, enforce your rules, or who knows what will happen. So I like to call it a safari guide because I'm an animal guy, but to oversimplify all that, if you're going to go climb Mount Everest tomorrow or jump out of an airplane and you've never done that or go shark diving or go on a walking safari in Africa, are you just going to go do it on your own? Are you going to find a guy or a gal in your company who read a book and says, I read the book, let's go? Or are you going to find the best, most qualified guide you can and pay whatever it takes to have that level of quality and trust them to have your back? It's literally your life or, in this case, potentially the lives of your people on the line, and I would argue that it's, it's, it's a fairly similar thing here. So last item, uh, we, we've worked through all that, now we've got it. What about heat stress and comfort and all that stuff? Are my people gonna hate me if I ask them to wear this? So what is comfort? Grossly misunderstood. Most people will say the lighter the better, or the softer the better, or the more breathable the better. All that stuff you see on your left. The fact is, when you actually look scientifically at what drives people's satisfaction with the garment, that comfort, overall comfort with a garment. The top drivers are not anything that you're looking at over there. It's choice. If you've ever been down the cereal aisle or the beer aisle, you'll know Americans like choice. I don't, you could be given the most soft, comfortable, breathable, lightweight fabric in history. But if you're told that all day, every day, you're gonna wear one weight of one size, of one style, of one color, of one fabric, top and bottom for the rest of your life, you're gonna to come to hate it. People want choice. So that's number one, and it's got nothing to do with fabric issues. Number two is foot. I don't care what it's made of. If it doesn't fit, you know, we all know the Johnny Cochran rhyme, but if it doesn't fit, it's not comfortable. We still haven't gotten to fabric properties. It's only after choice and fit do we come to properties like weight and hand and comfort. And even then, what an awful lot of people will choose is the style they like or the brand they like or the color they like. Next time you go into a store or think about the last time you went into a store to buy clothing in your personal life. Did you go right up to the sales clerk and say, show me the lightest weight stuff you've got? No. What do we do? We walk over to the brand display that we're, we're most partial to. Or we walk over to the style that we're most partial to. Maybe it's flannel. Maybe it's denim. Maybe it's the, you know, the outdoorsy tech fabric look. Maybe it's quarter zips. And only then do you put your hand on the stuff and feel it and try it on. You're selecting brand, style, color first. So, all right, what about heat stress? Does this stuff cause heat stress? Am I introducing as many problems? as I'm saving people from? No, we're not. Comfort is inherently subjective and can't be measured, but heat stress can. Heat stress and comfort are not the same thing. Heat stress is really different. No single layer of breathable apparel is a significant contributor to heat stress. That's according to the CDC, NIOSH, in other words, OSHA, the federal government agencies that look at this. I'll say that again. No single layer of breathable apparel is a significant contributor to heat stress. So Long sleeve or short sleeve, doesn't matter. Arc rated or flame resistant, doesn't matter. Relatively light or relatively heavier, doesn't matter. They're not significant contributors to heat stress. Long sleeves, folks, are actually better. The sun is a radiant heat load. Long sleeves keep that radiant heat load off part of your body. If you've ever been to the Middle East, you see people running around in short sleeves, you do not. So what does cause heat stress? Heat stress is caused, and how do we dump heat when we need to dump heat? We radiate it. Well, what about if it's hotter out than you can radiate or you're working physically and you're building up metabolic heat in your body? Well, now you sweat, right? So it shouldn't surprise you to know that what causes heat stress is poor hydration. If you show up to work well hydrated and you stay well hydrated, you are extremely unlikely to become heat stressed. The next thing you can do is take a break. Is that five minutes an hour? Is it 10 minutes an hour? Is it five minutes every 15 minutes? It depends on the ambient conditions, your physical condition, and the work you're doing. But if you take that break in the shade, out of the sun, and rehydrate with clear liquids, Red Bull does not count, sorry, I shouldn't have mentioned a brand, but non-caffeinated, non-diuretic liquids, those are the things that cause heat stress. Also some illnesses and medications. So multiple layers, like 40 cal suits, yes. 
uh, non-breathable stuff like rainwear or the, the single-layer chemical protective garments, yes. But single-layer breathable arc-rated or flame-resistant apparel does not cause heat stress. These things do. Please, please keep that in mind. Once you have it, you have to worry about taking care of it. Well, all the quality stuff uh, sold in the United States today is that far for the life of the garment. There's certainly stuff that isn't, that's not quality, but your, your top-notch manufacturers, your big four, anything you get from them is going to be FR for the life of the garment. Uh, and certainly anything that you get from my company. We will not sell anything that we don't believe in. I don't care if it's compliant. It's got to pass our standards in addition to the compliance standards. So you can launder them at home. You can dry clean them. You can industrially launder them if you want to. Keep in mind that ILs don't generally handle, that's industrial laundry, don't generally handle knits, and knits are a huge piece of, uh, of what people think is comfortable. I happen to have a VP from one of the top knit manufacturers sitting in my office watching me do this, and he's nodding his head. Knits are where it's at these days. Uh, the, the concern is usually bleach and fabric softener. If you read the labeling carefully, it'll say no liquid bleach and no fabric softener. Uh, bleach is prohibited for all garments, so it's fabric softener. Fabric softeners tend to be flammable. But the bottom line is almost no one wears white in industrial environments, and almost nobody bleaches colors. And even so, there's excellent research published by IEEE, Hugh Hoagland, if you know that name, as an IEEE paper where he intentionally subjected FR clothing to 50 cycles of bleach with no effect and 50 cycles of fabric softener with no effect. So if you're concerned about that, there is a, a quick screen grab of the, the abstract from that report, and you can go and, and download it. So even what we've all told everybody for 15, 20, 30 years here isn't nearly the concern uh, that we all thought it was for a very long time. So once you've got the stuff, if you take care of it, it'll take care of you. Proper use should be obvious. It's got to be appropriate to the hazard. Got to be the outermost layer. Got to be worn correctly, zipped up, buttoned up, and so forth. You don't want meltable undergarments or flammable contaminants. What did this guy do? He was wearing a perfectly good arc-rated flame-resistant shirt. He was told the circuit was de-energized, so he rolled his sleeve up. That's the result of FR versus non-FR. That's a very serious burn injury right there. So anyhow, last thing here, I'll leave you with this, and we'll take questions. Uh, I, I said, again, wanting to – I don't know why this is not playing. Oh, here we go. So this is real-world video, security camera video, flammable clothing, two guys on fire, catastrophic injury. This is the famous cut of hay video. One stop, drop, and roll, and it didn't put the fire out. And you'll see a frozen right here, two men on fire. Why are they on fire? Because their clothing caught fire. Please don't wear fuel. Can't say that often enough. Please stop wearing fuel. Please stop working energized. There's another video coming up here. It tells you exactly what it is. This is an electrical closet in a bank in Florida. The boss comes out. He's not on fire. Bosses rarely are, but the electrician is. He drops and rolls, doesn't put the fire out. The boss stands over him and tries to help pat the fire out. So one flammable shirt burned two people, the gentleman wearing it, and the boss who tried to use his bare hands to help put the fire out. Please stop wearing fuel. This is not rocket science. If we turn the page to security camera video where they were wearing the right stuff, you see a very different thing. Left the words on the screen a little too long there, sorry. So this gentleman is digging a trench. He's about to hit a 4KV feeder with a metal pickaxe, which is a decidedly bad idea. Even though he's not working hot, he's wearing a daily wear FR, and this is why it's a good idea. He was not doing work that would have required FR, but his company required it all day, every day, and as a result, he's not on fire, he's not going to a burn center, he's not going to a hospital, he's not going to a morgue. He had some minor facial burns, and he returned to work the next day. Here it is again. Massive arc. Do not hit a 4KV feeder with a metal pickaxe, but if you're gonna, be wearing arc-rated clothing. This one uh, makes me even happier. Uh, I had something to do with this one. But these folks were in flammable clothing six months prior to this incident. You can hear the salsa music on the dash cam. And they're working. And they're, they're fully compliant with 70E in South America here. You can see the arc. Nobody's on fire. You can see them flip the visors up and talk to one another. Why does this make me so happy? Seven months prior, this would have been fatal or catastrophic for two people. But because they did the right thing, and they wore it as daily wear and not as pass-based, and even though they were out of sight of supervision, they were doing what they were supposed to be, this is how the company found out. What do I mean by that? These guys finished the work day. What could have been fatal or catastrophic would have been seven months prior was such a non-event in the right PPE that they finished the work day. And the first thing the supervisor knew was when he saw the PPE, they had to turn in the non-apparel PPE at the end of the day, and he saw what you just saw. It was trashed. 
So he went to the dash cam video. What the heck just happened? And he saw what you just saw. You can change the culture that much. If you take care of this stuff, it'll take care of you. That's my time. I appreciate yours, and we'll take questions. All right, thank you, Scott, for your excellent insights and expertise. Uh, before we start the q and I want to remind everyone of the evaluation survey we're asking you to complete. The survey should be appearing on your screen now. Your input is important because it will help us improve our future webcast. If you do not see the evaluation survey on your screen, please turn off your pop-up blocker. You may also access the survey by clicking the survey button near the lower right part of your screen. Okay, now let's get to some questions. Um, what are the key items to look for in labels? Um, this, um, it's extremely confusing trying to pick out the right FR clothing. So the key items to look for on labels depends on your hazard. Uh, the, the, uh, the garment has to be properly labeled to be compliant with the various standards. So if the standard's 2112, you're going to want to look for it saying that it's 2112 and for the other things 2112 requires. For instance, component compliance isn't okay. Uh, you can't say because I made this out of a fabric that's 2112 my garment is. You have to have the garment tested. If your ha hazard is arc rating, you're obviously going to want that arc rating on the garment. You probably want something that says CAT1 or CAT2 on the garment. And you're going to probably want 1506 compliance. Uh, which means it would say it's compliant to 1506 on the label. And if you look at 1506, I think it's 6.4 point something. There's a list of other things you have to comply with. So you do want to look at the label, and you want to make sure at a bare minimum that you understand who made it, where it was made, what the fabric is, whether it's 2112 and 1506 and 70E compliant. And then secondarily, if you have the bandwidth, you know, is the labeling still proper? Now, again, if you're hiring one of the good companies, you know, if you're hiring a quality safari guide, in my, in my earlier analogy, they're doing that for you because it's so complicated and, and there's so much stuff out there. Our next question, should workers be wearing cotton T-shirts under an FR garment or should they wear a Cat1 base layer? Oof, I hate the word should. Um, you, do not, you are not required by any of the standards in this country to wear either anything under your company-supplied FR or arc-rated or flame-resistant clothing. So here's how it shakes out. The word if is your friend, if. If you choose to wear something under your company-supplied flame-resistant and arc-rated clothing, if you choose to do that, it doesn't have to be arc-rated, but it can't be meltable. It must be made of all-natural, non-meltable fibers such as cotton, silk, or wool. So you certainly can wear cotton under there, and cotton certainly adds to, uh, to you can't count it toward arc-rating, but it, it adds a little insulation. The problem is, you're now the underwear police. So you can either wear nothing or wear arc-rated clothing underneath as a base layer, and you're good. But if you're wearing flammable clothing, now you're, in theory, are the underwear police making sure, are you wearing it? Is it meltable? What's the component? Where's the label? How do I know? So, yeah, it's, it's, it's tricky. Uh, but at the end of the day, do not wear meltables under there. Does that mean that something that's 98% cotton and 2% spandex is meltable? No, that's, that's safe. But you don't want to wear something, and I don't want to mention brand names, but uh, dry fit shirts at the athletic stores that are entirely meltable polymers, don't do that. Our next question, do uh, small burns that might, cause, might be caused by welding splatter uh, render an AFPPE garment unusable? Uh, yes and no. So uh, if you're welding your PPE, you either probably have welding PPE or you're exposing more expensive, you know, more durable PPE to the welding spatter. If you get welding spatter on it and it puts a little hole in the garment, we call those pinholes, patch it. It's, it's not a you just get. Um, most of the quality companies will provide you with patch kits, so it's a little piece of the fabric and FR thread, and you can either have a local tailor do it or do it yourself. Some of the high-quality vendors will even fix it for you for free if you ship it back to them. Um, so at the top of it, I would say don't weld in high-quality flame-resistant gear, and if, but if you're going to, yes, just patch the holes when they occur. Uh, our last question, what about non-AR winter coats slash sweaters uh, worn over AR clothes? What, do we, oh, enormous, what type of outcome yeah, are we? Really, are, sorry, go ahead. No, my, I apologize. I, <laughs> So we were, Tyndale were at the Kima Laboratories week before last, and I, I apologize if I jumped on you there and got excited. Uh, that's one of the things that we did. That's the lab where we create the real arcs, uh, you know, outdoors. And one of the things we did was non-FR outerwear, and it's just catastrophic. As you might imagine, that outerwear is heavy. So what does heavy mean? It means more fuel. 
So the arc will hit whatever the outermost layer is, or the flash fire, of course, will hit whatever the outermost layer is. If that outermost layer is flammable or meltable, it's going to ignite. And if it's outer layer, that's a lot of weight. It's a lot of fuel. And it doesn't matter what you wear under it at that point. It's a catastrophic fire. Please don't do that. You can absolutely buy almost any of the styles that you would like in non-FR outerwear, including quarter zips uh, and stuff like that on, in the sweater realm of things, are available in FR. So do not make that mistake. It's really, really bad. All right, thank you, everyone. Unfortunately, we have run out of time. I'm sorry we didn't get to everyone's questions, but all of today's unanswered questions will be forwarded to our speaker. Once again, I hope you take the time to fill out the evaluation survey on your screen to give us your feedback. That ends today's Safety and Health Magazine webcast. I'd like to thank Scott Margolin, everyone at Tyndale, and, of course, all of our listeners. Have a safe day. Thanks, everyone.